0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, we're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. How does information from the world around us make its way into our brain? Now the thalamus and our cortex are connected, the thalamus is processing and bringing all that sensory input and passing it along to the cerebral cortex to do something about that, to perceive, to form perceptions and understanding about the world. But how that information is passed through, and how in specific cases, like our eyes, does it actually work? This week, we find about the connections between our senses and our brain. We perceive the world around us through our senses, and all of that sensory information around our body, whether it be visual, touch, heat, taste, all of this sensory information needs to get into our brain somewhere. And this is one of the jobs of the thalamus, which acts as the processing region, getting all that information in and then passing it into, of course, the cerebral cortex. And cerebral cortex is what is then responsible for producing perception based on all of those sensory inputs, tying those senses that you feel into some kind of knowledge, awareness of what's around you. And the thalamus is pretty integral to that whole process of feeding and funneling that information towards the cortex in your brain. Big problem though, with our understanding of the thalamus is that, well, how the thalamus and the cortex are connected is pretty confusing. It's not that we don't know how they're connected, we do, we can see it. It's just that we have an awful lot of senses and a huge amount of sensory information. But if you're looking at the connections between the cortex and the thalamus, the synapses, they're pretty sparse in between. There's not many of them. And more confusingly, when we actually see the signals transmitted in these synapses, they're pretty weak in nature. So you have a sparse amount of connections and the signals inside them pretty weak. And yet And yet, somehow, the thalamus manages to produce for the cerebral cortex tremendous amounts of information from which the cerebral cortex can process this and give us our amazing insight into the world around us. This is, of course, pretty puzzling. It's one of the many things in the brain that we don't quite understand fully. And that's what researchers from MIT and other universities have just published in the journal Nature Neuroscience. An investigation into just how exactly the thalamus manages to process, using these weak connections, enough information from our senses to pass it along to our brain, and the mechanism that it uses to make sure we get the right information, despite having not many and, well, not very strong signals coming through. Now, the lead author on this paper was Ayukul Balcioglu and including other authors like Rebecca Jalini, Michael Doran, Kendall Bernal, and others in the lab, working together with researchers like Eli Nedvedi. Now these connections, these synapses between the cortex and the thalamus, we can see that there's not that many of them and that they're not particularly strong but they also have another unique trait is that they're all pretty diverse in how they actually function and maybe this diversity is part of the clue so researchers first needed to understand exactly what they were seeing and to do that you have to map and model the brain in particular all of these connections and how they might work and the researchers set about this first by meticulously mapping every thalamic synapse on 15 neurons in layer two or three of the visual cortex in the mice model. And once they had this mapping complete, then they could build a model of how the brain works, specifically in this case, how each of those inputs affects the neurons processing of visual information. And what they saw was this diversity. The team had a wide variety of variations in the number and the arrangement of those thalamic synapses, which made them differentially sensitive to all kinds of different visual stimulus another way to think about it is that not all of those synapses were the same some of them had different strengths and weaknesses picking out different sets of information than the other synapses around it and this creates a rather heterogeneous mix and researchers like Nedvig point out this is probably a feature rather than a bug because it offers some kind of benefit flexibility and robustness for one. You have lots of different types of synapses and lots of different configurations. When you think about the number of sensory inputs you have to handle, well, you have a lot of different sensory inputs. So diversity is pretty useful and an efficient use of limited resources, synapses. And one of the lead authors on this paper, Agul Bacioglu, investigated particularly a way to track all the many individual inputs that a cell might receive. And what happens as a response of that input? This gave them a lot of detail in actually what happens as thousands of inputs pour into a brain cell. The brain has to interpret and process all of that information. So by tracking this, researchers like Bacheoglu could actually map it out because they could identify the characteristics of those different types of inputs and see how that would translate into different information inside the brain cell gave them a pretty unique ability to describe in living animals where the structure of a single cell what kind of information actually gets incorporated into it so I get a picture into what that brain cell is actually up to and they picked this particular region of the brain to study the layer 2-3 of the cortex because well it's the most flexible or plastic part even in the human adult brain Obviously, they were studying it in mice model, but in the even in the human adult bone, layer two three of the cortex is relatively high flexibility or plasticity. Now, one of the other problems, though, despite its relative flexibility, it's not got actually that much thalmic innovation in it, and that really hasn't been studied that much in detail. Mostly because trying to map the way the thalamus is integrated in the neurons is pretty daunting, even in the mice model. It's very very tricky. The only way that you can really do that is perhaps with the technique that Nedvedi's lab developed which is about observing the whole cortical neurons using a special two-photon microscope using different colour tags on the same cell simultaneously and trying to tie those colours to different parts of the cortical neurons. So tagging the thalamic inputs that are coming in contact with these neurons trying to track and process the information as it comes through using this particular type of two-photon microscope. It's pretty cool in terms of its ability to look into living tissue, but it's not really super high resolution. So you can't really see and understand the synapses in full detail, hence why they do things like the color tracking. And another technique called MAP, which is a technique of physically enlarging tissues in the lab. So if your microscope's not powerful enough, why not just make the sample bigger? kind of a cheaty way to think about it but that's basically the type of process that map uses helping them to actually get an insight with high resolution images of how these thalamic cortical synapses these links between the thalamus and the cortex actually are connected and function and what they found when they used this special technique of blowing everything up and having a look at it is that the thalamic inputs were pretty small and they were often res- assumed to be weak and maybe even temporary so how did these weak and Fleeting and rare synapses manage to actually contribute to what we understand about the world around us because clearly we manage to make it somehow work, even though the full detail that we can see leaves us a bit confused. And this is obviously confusing even for the researchers themselves. And this is an interesting topic. If you model it, though, it starts to make a little bit more sense because the way in which that these diverse group of synapses process and pass through this information. Some of the cells perk up more in the response to different aspects of the visual information. Maybe there's a high contrast, maybe there's a shape. So no one cell can see everything perfectly, one synapse that is. But if you focus across the whole crowd, some of them pick up on different features of that one sensory input. And the combined wisdom of the crowd adding all of these visual inputs together to these cells with their diversity and strengths and different focus areas could actually piece together a pretty good understanding of that sensory input. Now, if you model it, it seems that the sweet spot is around this 5,000 total synapses that we have. Up to about 5,000 total synapses If you just had one really super good, perfectly accurate cell or synapse, it would be able to process all of the information perfectly correctly and pass it along to the cortex just fine. And as long as you have just the white one in that 5,000, you would do okay. But beyond that, it's actually better to have not necessarily everybody being perfect or even one being perfect, but rather a collection of small, weak, and diverse group of signals, all capturing different pieces of the picture. All of those working together as long as you have around 6,700 synapses, you outperform a single star shining brightly, a great super perceptive synapse. So the lesson here is that the wisdom of the crowd from a statistical perspective is a really efficient use of brain power, of synapses in this case in particular. You don't need to have every one of your synapses to be perfect or the best it possibly can be. You just need to have enough that are good enough and all doing different things so you have a diverse view of that data that creates through the diversity, even the weak signals and actually a better result in terms of sensory perception. So this is a fascinating insight into how our brain manages to process the amazing variety of information bombarding us continually, efficiently, with the minimum number of brain cells, which is great because it keeps us robust and flexible for when we need it. Be able to cope with all kinds of different inputs. This wisdom of the crowd is what's happening in our synapses between our thalamus and our cortex. We don't need one perfect synapse connection. We just need a lot that all capture different things as a strength. This paper is published in the journal Nature Neuroscience with lead author Agula Balikrogu along with a number of others including research from MIT under the direction of researchers like Eli Nedvedi. discussing the senses and how our brain processes these, it's hard to go past, of course, the visual cortex, the region of our brain that processes visual imagery and how that's connected to the rest of our sensory system, in particular, our optical nerves. And some research published in the journal Neuron with lead author Joel Bauer and other researchers from the Max Planck Gesellschaft Institute have been investigating the way in which different parts of your visual foulness are connected to different parts of your brain and how this connection isn't necessarily quite all that meets the eye now we know that the visual thalamus actually is relaying information to the visual stimuli through to the front the retina through to the cerebral cortex just the same way we talked in the general case about the thalamus connecting to the cortex this is actually probably a more specific case of the visual thalamus connecting to the visual cortex certain regions with some specific functions And in our eyes, regular humans in most cases have two eyes. Now we use those two eyes to perceive objects around us, perhaps seeing a desk, a tree, a vase, a mouse, a keyboard or a phone. Now we see only one object, we only see that once. So your brain has to be doing something to stitch that image together. You've got two eyes, you create two different visual stimuli information coming in, and it has to be stitched together. This visual stimulus has to first get captured by the retina and then travel fast on the so-called ganglion cells to the visual thalamus. This goes through a bit of a process to end up in some really clearly defined areas. This is like following the nerve pathways of the retinal ganglion, transporting all of that visual stimulus. Signals from the right to the left eyes are actually separated, and clearly separated in the visual thalamus to independent regions of the brain. So they get sent separately. It's only actually once it gets into the visual cortex does this information start to get combined. That was at least the major dominant theory in how our brains process this information. But when you start cutting up brains and eyes and tracking things through, doesn't quite line up with that understanding. Because there's a surprising number of neurons in mouse models, which is what we generally do most of our experiments on. Um, And if you look at the mouse, eyes and the, the neurons connecting that to the visual thalamus. you can see that it has contact to both eyes. So where does the separation that we see functionally between the left eye and the right eye, these different channels of information actually come on? So researchers like Tobias Boonhofer and others at the Vax Planck Institute were trying to study this in detail. So they developed a kind of optogenetic method so they could specifically activate Different ganglion cells and see which of these, with the successive activation of different colors, were responding to different regions of passing that information into the thalamus. It's a crazily intense method of like tracing the pathways of visual information, seeing, ah, okay, we're now putting on a yellow light. Let's turn on this combination of thalamic connections. Okay, where do we see that information get passed through? And by doing this analysis, it yielded some pretty strange results. Now, a multiple sets of neurons in the visual thalamus receive inputs from both retinas. So that is a bit of a surprise because it means it's not separated in channels. So getting into the thalamus, there's lots of signals coming in from both retinas. But interestingly, there are only a few cells in which the signal strengths of both eyes are similar. In most cells actually, one eye dominates with a much higher signal coming through. Yes, the other one also comes through, but it's not as strong. There are weak signals from the non-dominant eye, but they're not seeming to play any major role in the processing of visual information. So on a physical level, the retinas form connections with the visual thalamus in both eyes. But actually, on a cellular level, from a functional perspective, it might have a connection, but it doesn't use it. So it's not that the old study and the analysis are wrong, it's, it's correct, it's just not actually happening perhaps in the way that we thought it was. It's not as clear-cut. And so even with giving equal connective access to both eyes, these stomach cells will pick to establish one functional connection with only one eye. It won't have a functional connection to both eyes, it will pick one as the kind of a dominant eye. So that means there has to be some kind of selection mechanism to pick which input source to trust. Now we don't really understand what that is driving that at the moment, but it's an interesting concept. There has to be some functional reason why it's advantageous to focus in on just one input for the particular cell, and that's what our bodies are doing. But why that's the case is not quite clear. So our retinas are passing information to Different regions inside of our visual cortex. But our visual cortex, when it's stitching this all together, chooses which one to elect as the dominant. Not that it's not connected, physically can't see the other set of information, it's just that it chooses not to use it. This is an interesting research published in the journal Neuron. The lead author in this paper was Joel Bauer, along with a number of other researchers from the Max Planck Institute. This has been the Young scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange White way our eyes pass information back to our brain and pick a side, along with the way that our thalamus is connected to our cerebral cortex and how it chooses to process the information. Our ending theme was composed by audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of Australia.